0: Morning. It's Tuesday, February the 20th, 2024. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown. Coming to you on AMI TV, I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. up on the show today, the BC Black History Awareness Society is hosting Black History Month programming all throughout the month. Executive Director Jamila Dahabi tells you what's to come. Provinces are taking steps to introduce silver alert systems for missing seniors. Reporter Megan Gilmore has more on the story. And it's another edition of the Weekly News Quiz. Alicia Yardley, much like myself, is back from vacation to take on Karen McGee and John Lepke. It was a lovely couple days away. Thank you to everyone who filled in for me. During a very restful week in the month of February, a little bit of described video for you this morning. I did not do much on vacation, but I did take some time to grow some facial hair. So trying out a goatee this morning seeing how that uh, lands out there in the viewer vortex let's get to the top story of the day stats Canada released its January inflation data a few minutes ago year-over-year year, prices went up 2.9 percent that does represent a decline from December lower gasoline prices were the key driver there was a little bit of a stabilizing in grocery prices as well year-over-year year, prices went up 3.4 percent that's down from 4.7 percent in december that data just came out a couple of minutes ago hopefully i can offer you a little bit of analysis tomorrow on the show stats canada has also released some data about renters across the country emily javesky breaks it down
1: Statistics Canada says survey results over the last few years show renters are more prone to reporting lower quality of life than homeowners, especially in Vancouver and Toronto. The agency says young people surveyed in 2023 were less likely to report high overall life satisfaction and excellent or good mental health compared with older Canadians 55 and up. Those living in Toronto and Vancouver in 2021 through 2023 reported lower life satisfaction faction than others in bc and ontario and also had a lower sense of belonging to their community emily Jovesky, the canadian press
0: this is not quite inflation news but it is grocery news and it does involve some money loblaws is going to spend more than two billion dollars building over 36 new stores karen rebo takes a closer look
2: Loblaw Companies Limited says in a morning news release that it will build more than 40 new stores. It will also expand or relocate another 10 locations and will renovate more than 700 others. Loblaw says the company's capital investments this year are expected to create more than 7,500 jobs in Canada. The company has a network of 2,500 stores nationwide under such banners as Loblaws, Shoppers, Real Canadian Superstore, No Frills, TNT, Joe Frills, Fresh and PC Financial. Karen Rebot, the Canadian Press, Toronto.
0: I don't often do product recall stories for you, but this one seemed a little more significant than usual. A prescription navel spray is being recalled in Canada. Naira Ahmed has more.
3: Health Canada says APO Mometazone is prescribed for allergy symptoms in children, sinusitis in patients age twelve and older, and for nasal polyps in adults. The recalled sprays could be contaminated with a bacteria that can pose serious health risks to those people with chronic lung diseases or weakened immune systems, pregnant people, seniors and children. The affected sprays are from two lot numbers and have expiry dates of September and October 2025. Anyone concerned because they or their children have used the product should consult a health care provider. Naira Ahmed, The Canadian Press.
0: And one more story. This one's outside of Canada. Way, 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 way outside of Canada. Astronomers have discovered what may be the brightest object in the universe. Lisa Dwyer blasts off into space.
4: Scientists say what they once classified as a star is actually a quasar, with a black hole at its heart, growing so fast that it swallows the equivalent of a sun a day. The record-breaking quasar shines 500 trillion times brighter than our sun. The black hole powering the quasar is more than 17 billion times more immense than our sun. While the quasar resembles a mere dot in images, scientists envision it's a ferocious place. The rotating disk around the quasar's black hole is like a cosmic hurricane with luminous swirling gas and other matter gobbled up from stars. The quasar has been around since the early days of the universe and is 12 billion light-years away. It might be comforting to know that just one light-year is 5.8 trillion miles. I'm Lisa Dwyer.
0: That is comforting that a gigantic black hole is that far away. I'll take a little bit of comfort on that one. Let's get to the daily polls at Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. On Friday, y'all were talking about ice cream and talking about food. And the question was asked, what is the most overrated ice cream flavor? 12% of you said vanilla. 35% of you said chocolate. That is accurate. 35% of you said cookie dough. And 18% of you said other. Now, these folks who responded maybe didn't quite understand the question because they started writing in their favorite flavors, not overrated flavors. Don writes in orange pineapple is their favorite. Never heard about that one. That one sounds good. Ryan writes in Neapolitan. You get three flavors for the price of one. I'm actually a sucker for Neapolitan. Strawberry is my favorite flavor, but I do like mixing it with vanilla and then whoever else in my life can have the chocolate. And Lelena writes in Tiger Tail, which is orange with black licorice. Never heard of that one before. A couple of y'all coming off the top rope with uh, interesting ice cream flavors. Well done. Today's Daily Poll has to do with the topic that Megan Gilmore is going to be bringing to the table in about 15 minutes about silver alerts and what provinces are doing to look for seniors that go missing. But there's a broader question to be asked here because there's all sorts of technology that you can put on your phone or other devices that allow you to be tracked by the people who love you. So at Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, do you use GPS tracking software to share your location with friends and family all the time, when traveling, or never? Laura Bain, I'm in the never camp because there's no one in my life who actually cares about me, but I do understand that some people who have meaningful relationships do sometimes use this technology.
4: Oh, Dave, I highly doubt that's true. I think there are lots of people that care about you. But <laughs> um, I, I will say that I use this technology in certain circumstances. And I, I'm going to tell a little bit of a story here quickly, which is that when I was in the dating pool and going out on first and second dates, I installed one of these tracking apps and gave open access to one of my friends who I really trusted. Um, And when I was going out on dates, I would kind of tell him the rough plan, like, oh, you know, we're going to go here, whatever. And a few times he checked in on me like, hey, you know, you said you were going to be in downtown Halifax. I see you're over in Dartmouth. Is everything okay? And I'd be like, yeah, we went to go get his dog. We're going for a walk. It's fine. right?" And then when I went out on my first date with my current partner, uh, we followed the plan. We went to go see uh, some theater. And then afterwards, we went to another neighborhood, and we went to a cocktail bar, and Ooh. we were there for a few hours. And I had my phone in my bag. I wasn't really paying attention. And my friend watching the tracking app got a little concerned and decided to uh, take matters into his own oh, hands, no. so I should say. He, <laughs> oh, he no. uh, has a background in security and, and was in the military. So he decided to come to the cocktail bar and uh, peek in the window and make sure I was I was doing fine and then, and then he thought he better make sure I got home okay so uh when my my first date uh my now partner uh walked me home I had to explain why there was another guy sitting out in front of my oh my gosh at midnight waiting for me <laughs> so I was, it was
0: <laughs> I was gonna ask if he kept the reconnaissance a little sneaky but I guess I guess in the end he didn't go all the way fully sneaky on the reconnaissance
4: well, he tried. And then he's the thing was, it sends you this automated message saying, like, so and so is in your vicinity. So then I was like, oh, my friend's here. But he was like, he was actually hiding around a corner. Oh, it, no. was, it was, it, was it, it, it required a little bit of explaining. But um, certainly his intentions were good. But he did have his uh, tracking privileges revoked. Um, uh, <laughs> although, for you know, maybe I would reinstate them if I was back on the market. I don't know. It was nice to have someone looking out for my safety.
0: Yeah. It's a little Security blanket. There, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, especially when you're talking about dealing with the general public and uh, strangers. Uh, John Lepke, you're filling in for Alex Smythe today. What about you? What's uh, What's been your general experience with uh, utilizing GPS tracking software with uh, friends and family?
5: I will say, Dave, I am also in the Never Camp, although this does feel a bit like, and I'm interested to hear. The segment later today, um, it does feel like an extension of when you would, um, you know, you send your your friends and family your flight details or you, uh, um, you. well, this is a very Saskatchewan answer, but you uh, you can't find the farm you're supposed to be going to, so you make Google create the GPS pin and you send it to your friends. <laughs> um, uh, one of the groomsmen at my wedding was driving to the, uh, to the, um, the bachelor party, which was in rural Saskatchewan and said, this is how a horror movie starts. Um, so I do have some, maybe he sent the tracking uh, app information. I'm not sure, but yeah, I'm, I'm in the never camp.
0: Yeah, I think there's something there, John, that says sometimes when there's something unusual going on, no, bachelor party, I'm not saying it's unusual activity, but it's going to a different place in rural Saskatchewan, sometimes it's good just to have everybody on the same page and have some kind of digital marker of where we're supposed to go, rather than at farm number three, take a right, at farm number six, take a left, (laughs) because I know sometimes the street signs in rural Saskatchewan get a little wonky. Yes, or 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 don't exist or yes. don't exist at all yeah <laughs> if you don't know where you are why are you here
5: yeah not not good for somebody with CP and no space no sense of direction who just goes please tell me where to go <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah we have become a little dependent on this uh, GPS software there's uh, no doubt about that but it's very useful so you know what take our wins. Thanks, John. Thanks, Laura. Appreciate both of your thoughts on that one. You'll both be back later in the hour for some other conversations. In the meantime, you can vote on the poll at Accessible Media on X at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. You can also chime in via email feedback at ami.ca feedback at AMI.ca or pick up the phone and give the show a call 1-866-509-4545 1-866-509-4545 Coming up after the break the BC Black History Awareness Society is hosting Black History Month programming throughout the month of February Executive Director Jamila... Davey tells you what's to come. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and in audio at amiplus.ca. Welcome back. It's Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The BC Black History Awareness Society has hosted a Black History Month program for over 30 years. It features a wide variety of events. Alex Smythe had a chance to catch up with Jamila Duhabe to learn more about their programming and work. Jamila is the executive director of the society. In this first clip, Jamila shares some highlights from the month so far and details of what's to come.
1: So we've had a really busy Black History Month so far, and we still have a lot of great events to come. Uh, On February 1st, we held our Black History Month launch, which is always a great way to celebrate the beginning of Black History Month. Uh, We had a presentation about our society, information on events for the, the month, and then great music throughout the evening, lots of dancing until until the end of the event which was a lot of fun. Uh, So coming up this weekend is the Victoria Winter Arts Festival. Um, I'll be on a panel on Sunday the 18th which is titled Language and Light um, along with what's actually our annual favorite but because we're partnering with the festival they're um, celebrating this event with us Um, and so the concert is called the Celebration of Power and Joy of Words and Music um, on the 19th at the Belfry Theater. Um, and that's going to have uh, spoken word artist Dennis sumter Freytag and Maureen Washington, um, who's an international jazz musician, and that will be at 7 p.m. Um, On Thursday the 22nd we also have an exciting uh, keynote speaker event and that's going to be at St. Anne's Academy uh, with author and he's an author of black anthologies, poetry, fiction, nonfiction and then he most recently wrote a graphic novel Um, that's Wade Compton and then music will be by local musician Caleb Hart. Um, And then the final event that we have up so far, but you never know because we always have more exciting events on the way, um, is Sunday the 25th. We have a guided tour uh, at the Ross Bay Cemetery where people can find out more about uh, noteworthy Black history graves um, because we do have a lot of people who are descendants of of some pretty important Black uh, people in our community. And then we also received funding to restore seven grave sites, so people can find out more about that. In choosing events each year, we like to bring, of course, awareness to our history while also celebrating and uplifting current Black voices uh, throughout the month, um, like at our launch and keynote speaker event. So sometimes people reach out to us or suggested um, to us. Uh, and I think as a community, people wanna uplift and support each other. So we often hear about, you know, this is a great black musician. This is an artist who wants to have some of their art featured at an event, which will have some art at the keynote speaker event. Um, people, you know, just really wanna uplift and support each other in our community.
0: So that's the month of February, but the BC Black History Awareness Society hosts public events throughout the year. Here's what Jamila had to say.
1: Yeah, so I think it's so important that though we celebrate Black History Month in February, it's also about, you know, Black history is important 365 days of the year. And that's why we do have events, uh, sponsorships, and things that we partner on uh, throughout the year. So uh, in 2023, for example, we had um, the BC Black History timeline that came out, which is really exciting. It's both online and in print. um, So it's available for everyone, but it's also a great educational resource. Uh, It has over 50 pages of key events on bc's black history as well as things that went along uh in canada and then we also supported canada's multi- multiculturalism day um so it's called more than a game and it's a basketball game in june um and then there was a big uh the function music festival in august um we partnered with the Royal BC Museum throughout the year because they have made a movement to support um, more Black and Indigenous folks in our community. Um, so they've created an exhibit about the Black carporters, and then we're also working on an online learning portal. Um, and as I mentioned, with a grant from the Heritage Foundation, we were able to restore seven graves at the Ross Bay Cemetery here in Victoria. Um, There are a lot more events that we partnered with throughout the year um, that you can see on our website, and then there's a lot more ongoing and new projects that we'll have this year.
0: So to learn more about the society and the events that are happening, visit bcblackhistory.ca. That's bcblackhistory.ca. In 60 seconds, John Lepke has the weather story of the day. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minutes.
2: Strength in base metals and telecom helped Canada's main stock index post a small gain on Friday before the long holiday weekend for Family Day in Ontario and for President's Day in the U.S. Toronto's TSX index gained 32 points on Friday ahead of today's January inflation data coming from Statscan. In New York Friday, the Dow Jones lost 145 points and the Nasdaq gave back 130. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index lost 106 points. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 74.10 cents U.S. And the union representing more than 9,000 Canadian railway workers is warning of a potential looming work stoppage as contract negotiations with Canadian National Railway and Canadian Pacific Kansas City have ground to a halt. This comes after both railways asked the Labour Minister on Friday to appoint a conciliator over a new agreement for train conductors, engineers and yard workers. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo.
0: Thank you very much. Karen, let's turn to the world of weather and John Lepke. John, a whole bunch of weather alerts coming down across the country.
5: Absolutely. So this morning we currently have 15 weather alerts across the country. As you'd expect for this time of year, more than half of those are for extreme cold. In none of it, the areas of Baker Lake, Chesterfield Inlet. Kuguruk, Nojat, the ranking region, and Tolerac are all under extreme cold warnings. How cold? Each area is expected to see wind chill temperatures between minus 55 and minus 60.
0: Oh, yeah, that's cool. Sli-
5: yeah, just a little chilly. It's a slightly warmer story in some areas of Quebec this morning, with the McCougan River area also seeing an extreme cold warning. This time, those wind chill values are in the minus 38 range. However, staying in La Belle Provence, Akulevik and Kuvernitak are dropping down to minus 52 this morning. Dangerous weather all around. And in Western Canada, we continue to see air quality and dust advisories in British Columbia. Those in Prince George and Yellowhead areas have an air quality advisory in place due to fine particulate matter. Meanwhile, those in the East Columbia region of the province, in the area around Golden, are under a dust advisory. You can find more information on the Government of Canada's weather page or by visiting www.gov.bc.ca
0: slash air quality. Hey, John, thank you for this. Uh, Talk to you a little bit later in the show. Absolutely. Thanks so much. That's John Lepke at the Weather Desk. Coming up after the break, provinces are taking steps to introduce silver alert systems for missing seniors. Reporter Megan Gilmore will have more. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. You know what happens when a child goes missing. An Amber Alert gets sent out to the general public, oftentimes through your phone, TV, radio stations, Internet, etc. But what happens when a senior goes missing? Megan Gilmore is a reporter with Canadian Affairs, and Megan has a bit more perspective to share on this issue. Hey, good morning, Megan. Good morning, Dave. Megan, I think I understand this, but it's worth laying the groundwork. What's the intent behind silver alerts?
6: Sure. So uh, exactly what you alluded to in the introduction there. A silver alert would be an alert that would be sent, broadcast out, when a senior or a vulnerable person uh, particularly individuals who have developmental disabilities um are uh, when they go missing so just some data about the need for this in 2019 uh, calgary police reported that multiple seniors they, they got multiple calls a week about seniors going missing um there's a good number of canadians who are living with dementia and that number is only set to rise and for those um, who uh, had a family member or a friend with dementia? You'll know, like sundowning, people often go wandering uh, mm-hmm. later on in, in mm-hmm. the day. So it's really, um, it's really been precip- uh, The call for this, the push for it, has also really come along with the conversations around. You know, more people are being diagnosed with dementia, and more of them are living in the community, which is great. But then, how do we make sure that these people are actually safe when they're living in the community?
0: What is the current protocol for when a senior goes missing? Because obviously we don't have silver alerts in Canada. Otherwise, you and I wouldn't be talking about this.
6: Right. Okay, so the question of whether or not we have them or not gets a little tricky. So uh, there are some provinces that have changed their Missing Persons Act to include the word silver alert or to have something about um, a specific alert when a senior or a vulnerable adult goes missing so manitoba has quote-unquote silver alert legislation there's a bill in ontario that's being like studied at a committee and it's been there like for a long time um but just because you've changed a law and put the words silver alert or something like that in your law does not actually create the alert itself um so The protocol is actually a little different depending on wherever you are. So, for example, in Manitoba, the Winnipeg police will put out what they call silver alerts when a senior goes missing. That's how it's described. But it's often like a a social media post. And then there'll be like a story on CBC that it says, you know, Winnipeg police have issued a silver alert. It's not necessarily an alert coming to your phone.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
6: so that's where it gets a little tricky. And BC, there was there is like a, a volunteer-run type silver alert organization where they home the uh, missing person alerts that come out and they send out alerts to people who have decided have told them, "I want alerts." when a senior goes missing in my neighborhood so it is different depending on where you are there is no set protocol there is no according to lily lou who's a researcher at the university of waterloo there is no publicly funded silver alert in canada right now quebec just finished up a pilot project uh, last month, and we'll, we'll see what the results of that were. But right now, it's a lot of like volunteers and people trying to raise awareness about this issue with their governments.
0: What's the framework to create an effective silver alert system? Because like you said, uh, there's a little bit of a hodgepodge going on right now.
6: Mm-hmm. And one of the concerns that people have when you talk about this is, take Amber Alerts that you mentioned, How many times, Dave, on this show, have you done a segment about all the people who complain about the Amber Alert that woke them up in the middle of the night?
0: Well, so I actually don't tolerate that kind of nonsense discourse, because I think people should (laughs) act like adults and accept that your phone's going to buzz from from time to time when there's a missing child. But, Megan, I know what you mean more broadly. The mass media as a whole loves to run with that talk show nonsense.
6: Yes, it's true. Right, I forgot that you have a very highly principled stance on this issue, which I deeply appreciate. So, the concern that researchers who work with older adults in particular have about silver alerts is the concern of alert fatigue, right? So many people, um, like suddenly their loved ones, they're like, "Hey, like my person has gone missing," and then what if we put out an alert? But then this person is found. Shortly thereafter, like this is just going, we're getting a lot of alerts and they may not be helpful. So, the ideal uh, version when you talk to researchers about this is they, if there's going to be a silver alert, they would say it needs to be something that is geographically specific. So Mm. only individuals in the area where somebody was last reported seen um, get the alert. One of the reasons for that is, is according to one individual I spoke to in BC, um, especially for individuals with dementia, when they're reported missing, they are often found within a 10 to 13 kilometer radius of where they were last seen. So it's a really... like specifically defined geographic area they also will typically just walk in a straight line like their Mm, patterns mm. of behavior when they're lost are different from other people so that's one of the reasons why you want it to be geographically targeted so that you get the most effective response and then some people have said you know if we're going to do this great like more eyes ears feet on the ground is best but make it voluntary So if I, you know, if I wanted to be a person who's like, hey, I would like to be alerted if there's a senior or a vulnerable adult missing in my area so I can help find them. I would opt into it, and it gets sent to me, so that it's not being sent to people who are just going to be grumpy. And then there's a concern that that's just going to increase the negative attitudes that some people already have yeah. about seniors or people living with dementia. Yeah, the,
0: the the trash narrative that I have accepted while talking about uh, about Amber Alerts on the show is, what does it matter as a blind person if I know that a child is missing? This description doesn't help me at all.
6: Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, I I, I get the descriptions. I'm like, oh, that's good for me to know. Um, but
0: I do always wonder yeah. what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, 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 there you go. There's me There's me finding my own trash narrative in the conversation. Uh, Megan, what about alternatives? And I think one of the things yeah. you'll probably talk about here is the subject of the daily poll. So I'll ask you the daily poll oh. after you lay out some of the alternatives.
6: Okay, so clearly we don't want our seniors or adults with developmental disabilities to get lost and go missing, right? Like that's actually prevention is, is the best strategy. So one of the things that will come up is um, having like a GPS type tracker on somebody, even if it's just like, I think an Apple uh, device that has, or another smartphone device that has, has a GPS tracker. There are some things you need to be aware of that in terms of like consent And did did an adult give you consent to be tracking their location? How do you determine consent when somebody has dementia? So um, individuals who work in that would say, you know, it's best just to have this conversation early, early in, in, in your time with the disease, and also to frame it in a very positive way. Like, I want you to be able to do the things that you like to do, and I want you to be able to walk around independently and safely. And that means, like, we need a way to find you um when when you're missing there's also a project a company called project lifesaver uh that does something kind of similarly uh that's particularly helpful for people with autism uh, or autistic people and their families um and then there's also vulnerable person registries which i know a lot of community reporters have come on and talked about on this show throughout the years so If you have an adult in your family who is living with a developmental disability or or some form of dementia, calling in and having them be part of the Vulnerable Person Registry. So that way, if you're contacting the police to say, hey, we can no longer find our loved one, they can contact the Vulnerable Person Registry. And it just speeds up the process and helps people know who they're looking for Mm -hmm. and what they need. Mm -hmm. So often like when people with dementia are reported missing, they are found by friends, family, concerned neighbors uh, before there needs to be a big search which is good. That's what we want. So it's just ways of getting the community more involved and finding ways as a, as a family and as friends to keep your loved ones safe.
0: Megan, you mentioned the GPS tracking, and that's something that's mm-hmm. not just used for vulnerable people or seniors with dementia or young children. This is something that people are voluntarily opting into in certain yeah. scenarios. Uh, I, I, I'm forgetting I'm forgetting the name of the one particular software that a lot of people are using with I, in conjunction with iPhones, but mm-hmm. they'll go on vacation. They'll all opt into the software. They're sharing their locations with each other in case they get lost. So, yeah. Megan, it begs the question, do you use GPS tracking software to share your location with friends and family at accessible media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook all the time when traveling or never?
6: Ooh, I think right now I'm at never. Um I would maybe do it some other times. Um the whole reason I got a white cane is because I had some very um significant instances of getting lost in my hometown that terrified my parents. So I had to go get a white cane. So they might appreciate them. I don't know. Maybe it would just make them more worried. Like, oh look, she's totally yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) I'd be I'd be more concerned if my parents had access to my location 24/7. Yeah, although they'd be like, he hasn't moved in three days. Is he okay? (laughs) Like, yeah, just hanging out, just hanging loose, just staycationing over here. (laughs) <laughs>
6: but yeah, no. so right now I don't, although I do, I, I'm an iPhone user. I do have Find My iPhone. I lost my phone a few months ago, right before I had to go to Arizona. And thankfully, because of that feature, it was able to be found. Before I had to board a plane. Well, there you go.
0: Well, there you go. You see, there there are advantages out here. If when we give away our personal data, even just a smidge, at Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, that's where you can vote on the daily poll. Megan, you've been looking into something else here on the work front. Phonics-based learning, looking into some education stuff. What what were you looking at?
6: Phonics is coming back, everybody. It is. Back uh, in some places with a vengeance, so in December, uh, I believe it was, the Ontario Ministry of Education announced that explicit phonics education is coming back into kindergarten curriculums beginning in September 2025. There are teachers across the country that are pushing for more phonics, and a lot of this comes out of the Ontario Human Rights Commission's Right to Read uh, inquiry report that was released about two years ago now, and that said that we need to teach children phonics again um, to learn how to read. Uh, The Saskatchewan Human Rights Commission has come to similar conclusions. Uh, There's another report going on in Manitoba. And while these inquiries were started because students with dyslexia and other learning disabilities were saying like the way that we teach literacy is not helpful for us with these learning disabilities this is discrimination on the basis of our disability um the recommendations about how to improve literacy education are beneficial for everybody so yeah we're seeing again more interest more governments putting concerted energy into phonics education
0: megan at the core here what's at issue what's being taught instead of phonics that's proving to be such a, a potential discrimination
6: Right. Yeah. So, I, well, there's several things at core, but one of the key questions is how do we teach children to read? What is the best way to do that? And there's some other philosophical questions and they're like, is there a direct connection between the letters in the alphabet and sounds? And phonics is about teaching you those connections between letters and letter groupings and the sounds that they make. I learned phonics. A lot of people learned phonics. I learned that Hooked on Phonics was invented in Canada. Oh, wow. Canadian invention. Yeah, yeah, go Canada. Um, (laughs)
0: 1-800-ABCDEFG.
6: <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's blazed into your memory. Um, we need a part of our heritage commercial about that. But anyways, um, so what people have been taught instead of phonics in recent years is a method of uh teaching kids literacy where they would say, you know, if you don't know if you don't know what the word is, instead of sounding out the letters look at like, what is, the, what is the shape of the word? Can you guess what the word is by its shape? Can you look at the context of the sentence to see what it means? Is there a picture? Can you guess what the word might be from the picture in, in the book, which is more applicable for younger grades when you have more pictures in your books? Um, and in some cases, children were encouraged to skip over a word if they didn't know what it was or just to guess it, like just point blank guess. And if the guess was maybe not the right word, but we captured the meaning of what we meant to say, in some cases, children would not be corrected. Uh, so there's been a lot of concerns about whether or not that gives in children, especially, the skills to sound out to no words as they move on in their education.
0: Right, building, uh, v- building vocabulary. Building,
6: yeah, building vocabulary. What happens when you no longer have pictures in your books? um i thought the picture one was a really interesting example because I, I would tell people when i was interviewing, interviewing them like listen i learned phonics i feel like a dinosaur uh but i'm also like legally blind so i'm really not sure how much this look at the picture concept would have always helped me i just can picture a five-year-old megan getting even more confused
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so
6: um that i think that, that's an interesting conversation to have um i i know I was really grateful I was, as I was doing this reporting that I had teachers who taught me phonics and taught me to read. And before I could clue into the fact that, oh, there's going to be some things in school that are harder for me because I can't see as well as everyone, I knew to read. And that yeah, gave me yeah. like confidence and a bit of a leg up later on.
0: Yeah, education is fluid, right? There's also been a lot of talk about reforming math curriculum, Mm -hmm. that that sometimes you're going to take some steps forward and say, this is a more modern way of approaching it. And then you can go 15 or 20 years and say, maybe that wasn't the best method. Education is always going to be fluid by its natures. But uh, you've you've certainly heard the province of Ontario talk about how they want to get back to basics in regards to the way they're handling education.
6: Yeah, yeah, and there's like a lot of different things around that. A few things that people would say on the pro phonics side is first of all, it is backed up by science, so this isn't like a new phenomenon. Like we're just kind of going back to how like we know from the data that this is the best way on mass to teach children to read. They'd also point out that you know a lot of kids will learn to read without learning phonics, but there's going to be some kids who aren't going to be able to, and you need to. Also prepare the kids who did learn how to read without it about what are you going to do when you get to harder words and harder vocabulary when you move on in your education. Mm -hmm. Another thing they would say is no one is advocating that we go back to sitting in straight lines and filling out endless phonics workbooks for half of our school day. Like, no, okay? So like you, like, yes- You need probably some workbook work, but it's not all that. There's different ways to incorporate phonics education. And a lot of it is just exposing children to the different ways that words are used, Mm -hmm. Um, playing with them, like in the sandbox and in different things and having a conversation about what you're building with your blocks or the Play-Doh or whatever it mm-hmm. is that you were doing and having kids use their words you can utilize you can, uh, utilize, so you, you, can, can
0: uti- you can utilize an older teaching technique but utilizing a new methodology to teach it
6: yeah totally and um yeah so that, that's what a lot of proponents of phonics. i'm if you haven't guessed yet i'm a big fan of phonics because i'm very grateful that i learned to read at a young age um and yeah, like um, if you there, for example, there's the First Nations Yukon, Yukon First Nations School Board in, in the Yukon. Um, the really new school board just started recently, but they've put a concerted effort into phonics education. And it's mandatory mm-hmm. that there be a half-hour phonics lesson every day for their students. And their students also, partly because it is a First Nations school board, they you know, they go out on the land and they go fishing and they go. Um, harvesting berries and they have elders come in and they teach them different like cultural traditional first nations cultural things and then the kids are writing about those things as part of their literacy lesson right so there's a whole lot of different ways that you can bring literacy education into the classroom Mm -hmm. in a way that is both scientifically backed and also fun and engaging and meaningful for your students.
0: (laughs) Megan thank you for this have a great day talk to you in a couple of uh, weeks. Yes. Yeah. Talk to you soon. That's Megan Gilmore, a reporter for Canadian Affairs. You can read Megan's work at CanadianAffairs.news. CanadianAffairs.news. Coming up after the break, there's a new festival in Toronto. Community reporter Mara Hutchinson tells you about the 2024 Glisten Festival. Keep giving this show a glisten. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. There's about a bajillion festivals and events around Toronto, and there's a new one to talk about, the Glisten Festival, which is all about the Young and St. Clair area, and it's put on by the Young and St. Clair Business Improvement Area. Community reporter Mara Hutchinson had a chance to attend the festival. Hey, good morning, Mara. How are you? I'm pretty good. So what went down at the Glisten Festival?
7: Well, what went down was their big tunnel of glam. I think that's the most important highlight of it, just because it's so big. It's an 80-foot pedestrian walkway, and it's just lit up with colors, 14 million sequins, and it's reversible. So all the kids, because I brought my son, and all the kids were just walking, running around and touching the walls. And I feel like that's the actual core of the whole festival. <laughs> it's, it's, it was fun.
0: <laughs> you know, I it, I don't think of Young and St. Clair as a neighborhood that necessarily needed a little bit more like bumping or platforming or festivaling, but it is it is kind of a sneaky good neighborhood in Toronto it, it, between it midtown and downtown.
7: It really is. And I feel like Little communities like this will showcase the business, what, what's around, and I didn't really realize there was so many other, because I'm usually in the hardcore of Toronto, going up there um, by St. Clair, it, there's so many restaurants, so many coffee shops, and things to really do around the neighborhood, So, which is really nice.
0: Yeah, you know, I said it off the top. There's a bajillion things going on around the city of Toronto. So even though there's all these really wicked neighborhoods and these cool pockets everywhere, it can be difficult to stand out.
7: Oh, for sure. And I feel like every community, such as Young and St. Clair, right now they have all different sorts of art installations. So, I mean, it's something to look at, bring your kids along, because when I took my son, well, actually we went yesterday, it was so fun because he had a great time seeing those Big, big, because right now there's like nature's child, and he thinks it's like the best thing ever. So it's just nice that it's just around your community. You can do something like that, and it's free.
0: Free, Can't go wrong. free is good. We like the low, low price of free 99. <laughs> so the Glisten Festival is running until March the 18th. To learn more, you can visit youngstclair.ca, youngstclair.ca, y o n g e. Stclair.ca, dotca, youngstclair.ca. Okay, a little bit closer to the downtown core. The W Hotel is uh, known for its luxury, but also cool experiences. What brought you down to the W?
7: Well, the year just started and I needed my own time, my own adult time. So I gathered some friends and I said, let's check out some events. And then I was... It led me to W Hotel, and I was so curious to the event called Chocolate Paint and Wine. And, you know, when we got there, it didn't turn out that I was going to do that event. It changed to a whole different experience, but it was still a nice time just to be an adult and just be by myself with my friends, and the vibe was so amazing.
6: Marty.
0: Yeah. Marty. you mentioned there was a pivot there. You got there thinking you were going to do one thing, you ended up doing something different. What did the W get right in terms of maybe holding your hand through that experience?
7: Well, I think what they got right is that we were already there. And as much as maybe they could have contacted me sooner to tell me, but I think because they had an emergency with the chef, when we got there maybe 45 minutes before actual reservation, what they got right is that they they were still able to accommodate us to a different type of event that they were hosting, which is the high bow, high tea. And to me, it's that they, the fact that we were already there waiting and they were still able to give us a great experience of other things that they have to offer.
0: What else did you enjoy about the W?
7: Well, I didn't know that um, there were so many cool things such as live bands and so on, but I was just the whole environment i mean I'm, i could sit there and maybe listen to music and have that big fire pit right in their living room so there's different spaces in the actual hotel but i feel like it's just a nice way maybe if you want to read your book or you want to be just on your own eat something good or check out their like for example they like they said they have live bands or djs so you could actually just check it out and just be on your own space or bring your friends along they're so friendly
0: back in my younger hipper days i used to hang out at the w in montreal because they used to have a wicked rooftop patio with a pool in the summertime but uh I, uh, I don't think I could run in that scene anymore, uh, Mara. Maybe, maybe the Toronto scene? I don't, not in the Montreal scene. That was a different uh, diff, hi, different, different kind of hip crew. Uh, 416-961-8000 to learn more about the W. 416-961-8000 to learn more about the W in Toronto. Mara, it's been uh, pretty warm in Toronto. I mean, I would tell you Torontonians that every winter you have is warm, but it's been warmer than usual what have you been doing to stay busy?
7: Well, this past weekend was a little cold, but the weekend before, it was like spring in the in beginning of um, February. So we wanted to just be outdoors and enjoy some sunshine. And I was trying to figure out what we could do with my family. And I said, because my husband and I used to go to Harbor Front Center. We'd walk before we even had a child. And I said, let's go back there, bring Mateo, And we were just wandering the streets of Harborfront Center and by the lake, looking at boats. And I forgot how cool the whole entire area is because it's been a while. And it was nice to just be outdoors and experience that and just sit, enjoy some sunshine with my son.
0: The neighborhood's also gone through a little bit of an evolution in the last 15 or 20 years between the development of uh, the Chorus Media Building, George Brown College. How do you think the neighborhood's changed in terms of accessibility in the last couple of years?
7: You know what's crazy? There's more ramps. More ramps, I feel like. And they really change up in terms of access to washings easily. I remember back in the day, it was... It was so hard, like everything was always closed and so on and you couldn't really get anywhere nearby, but I think I've noticed the ramp change and the concrete has changed a lot, so I mean it gives us more space to walk people with wheelchairs and just be outdoors as well and enjoy like just like regular people.
0: Yeah, modernization comes with accessibility bonuses. There's uh, yes. no doubt about that one. So 235 Queens Key West in Toronto. It actually is a pretty cool neighborhood. I've, I've spent some time down there for uh, work reasons. 416-973-4000 to learn more. 416-973-4000 to learn more. Hey, Mara, thank you for this. Have a lovely day. Talk to you in a couple of weeks.
7: Have a great day.
0: That's community reporter Mara Hutchinson in Toronto, in one minute, Laura Bain has a pretty interesting story about what was a missing instrument in the entertainment report. But first, boaters are looking for more sustainable fuels. Mike Debusky has more in Tech Trends. Boaters hold on to their vessels for longer than drivers hold on to their cars and Gus Blakely of Suzuki Marine says that presents a big challenge for an industry trying to go green.
8: With all the boaters that are on the water today they're not going to have new boats tomorrow so we need fuels that are available today for them to use in boats that were made today and before today.
5: That's why he says certain
0: boat manufacturers are investing in renewable fuels which mix traditional gasoline with more environmentally friendly alternatives
8: they can be used in any existing motors and they're very similar to rec 90 um, which is the more expensive marine fuel sold in a lot of gas stations and speaking of gas
0: stations
8: things like hydrogen electricity you have to build an infrastructure for that where the infrastructure that we already have basically works with renewable fuels.
0: With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Duboski, ABC News. Mike Debusky loves him some stories about boats. I'm going to start calling him Mike Debotsky. Let's get to the world of entertainment. Paul McCartney has his hands back on a piece of Beatles history with a little help from his friends. Laura Bain, you have a few more of the details here. What happened?
4: Yeah, that's right. So he's been reunited with a Hofner bass guitar which was stolen out of the back of a van 51 years ago in 1972 wow. now paul had a particular affinity for that style of bass because he was left-handed and the hoffner bass was more symmetrical it was sort of shaped like a violin and i think the quote i read he said it looked left less daft when he played it left-handed <laughs> um but for everybody else it's of interest because it was the bass guitar that he used when he was recording the first two beatles albums including the song Twist and Shout, which I have brought a little clip for us to listen to.
8: <laughs>
0: Only one of the most important rock songs uh, in history of music.
4: <laughs> yeah, you know, 60 years and it's still, a, it's still a bop. Dave. Oh yeah, Hundo P. Like, uh. But, uh, you know, and, and little factoids about that song. John Lennon had a cold when they recorded that album, and it was the song they recorded that day, which is why his voice sort of sounds so rough and shredded. And actually, visual producer Bruce Bar- Larian let me know something that I didn't know, which is that they always do that did that song at the end of their concerts to kind of replicate that rough sound. Oh, and interesting. That was that was what grabbed me this morning. I was like, that's not how John Lennon usually sounds, but... Anyway, back to the mystery of the guitar. So five years ago, Paul McCartney reached out to the manufacturer to see if they could help him track down the Lost Bass, which led to the Lost Bass project. And the break finally came when someone reached out to say that their father had stolen the base, not to a beetle. And when he knew what he'd stolen, he'd panicked. So that to me is like really funny. You just kind of like, you know, you just, it's Liverpool. It's a little, little rough back in that day. You're just, uh, you know, steal a base out of the back of a van and and oops, it belongs to a beetle. So of course you're you're panicking. So <laughs> he ended up selling the base to a pub owner for a few dollars and some beers just to get it off his hands. And this pub owner passed it down to his son, who unfortunately passed away, and then it went to a younger family member who also passed away, unfortunately. But um, the wife of that younger brother found it in her attic, uh, and she saw the story about the lost bass project and the looks so she uh she ended up returning it now the bass hasn't been valued but certainly in the millions
0: oh yeah like when you see what prince's guitars are selling for or bruce springsteen's guitars are selling for definitely it has a monetary value the problem yeah. is because it was known as a stolen good you couldn't go through a public market you would have to do something under the table no. and then you're not going to get all the millions
4: Yes, exactly. So uh, just another aspect to this story, apparently the woman who found the base and returned it slipped a note into the case just explaining uh, to Paul McCartney her difficult financial situation that she was in as a single parent and that she was hoping he would uh, give her some sort of compensation. So uh, no word on that yet, but that would be nice if that happens, (laughs) I think.
0: I mean, that's a little tricky, (laughs) right? Like, hey, this thing was stolen from you. And even though you're a millionaire now, it's being returned to you could you maybe slide me a couple pounds?
4: For sure. Um, I think he's he's certainly happy to get it back, though. But this kind of had me thinking, uh, Dave, if there was any piece of rock memorabilia that, uh, you know, if it came into your possession, I'm not going to say how it came into your possession. Let's say <laughs> accidentally it came into your possession. Uh, first of all, like, what would you do? And is there anything that you kind of,
0: if you knew what it was? Okay, so uh, let's say random guitar has found its way into my apartment. I have not asked many questions, but it turns out that it was Kurt Cobain's guitar i'm maybe not going to ask too too many questions about where it came from and just say oh what a lovely gift a friend just gave me so yeah so maybe a kurt cobain's guitar i actually do have a couple of ben harper's guitar picks that he threw into a crowd when i went to go see a concert once but that wasn't stolen he threw those into the crowds and i'm never going to (laughs) part with those uh ben harper guitar picks uh yeah let's say kurt cobain's guitar that's my answer what about you
4: yeah That's fair game with those guitar picks for sure. Um, Yeah. Well, certainly something like this, I would just want it off my hands. I think even if I'd stolen it, I would just go to the police and be like, here, I did this because uh, I would be very stressed out having that in my my possession. But uh, I actually also thought of Kurt Cobain. I thought, well, what if I was like at a thrift store and I came across a cardigan and I was looking for it? It has some lyrics in the pocket. And I think, hmm, I think this belonged to Kurt
0: Cobain. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. are you thinking are you thinking are you thinking about the green cardigan from unplugged in new york
4: yeah i did have that in mind Mm. i mean he was Mm. known for his cardigans in general but that one did come to mind for me
0: okay that's that's a good answer to that okay we've we've both got grunge on the this morning i think that tells you something about where we land in the winter months at the current moment hey laura thank you for this have a lovely day uh talk to you tomorrow
4: Thanks, Dave. You as well.
0: That's Laura Bain at the entertainment desk. Coming up after the break, a bunch of politicians are getting back to work today. I've got the story in the regional news update. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv and in audio at AMIplus.ca. I'm Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, February the 20th, 2024. Coming up in the second hour of the show, coping with the diagnosis of vision loss can take some time. Becky Czar is going to reflect on her own life experiences and share some advice. And it's another edition of the Weekly News Quiz. Alicia Yardley is back from vacation to take on Karen McGee and Sean Lepke, battling it out for the title. Brock Richardson is standing by for a sports chat, but let's begin the hour with the regional news updates. Starting in British Columbia, B.C. politicians returned to the legislature today for what will be the final sitting before a fall election. House Leader Ravi Collin believes the election will loom large. Well, uh, it will be a focus uh, for everyone I suspect, uh, the opposition parties as well as uh, for us in government. Uh, our focus, though, continues to just focus on people, making sure that people have the support and the
5: services that they need. But I suspect uh, that uh, it will be a tense session given that it is the last one before the election.
0: Kalan elaborates on the government's priorities.
5: Uh, certainly, our, our focus will be uh, continuing to make, uh, you know, progress on uh, on housing, ensuring people have access to affordable housing in their communities. Uh, healthcare, uh, of course, is something that we've been putting a lot of focus on and, and uh, it will be an important piece of uh, the uh, throne speech as we move forward.
0: And over to Ontario. Ontario politicians are also back to work today. Alison Jones looks ahead.
1: The governing Progressive Conservatives have already indicated they'll introduce legislation this
4: session on automatic license plate renewals, energy and housing, but a major lingering question is what the province will do about the post-secondary sector. Colleges and universities have already been grappling with frozen tuition fee revenues and low and stagnant levels of operating funding from the government, but they're also now facing a loss of revenue from international students with news of a federal cap on visas. Colleges and Universities Minister Jill Dunlop has not yet provided a substantive response to a government commissioned report recommending increasing tuition, student aid and operating funding. Allison Jones, the Canadian Press, Toronto.
0: Thank you very much Allison. That's your look at the regional news. Let's turn to the world of sports with Brock Richardson. Plenty to chat about here, Brock, but you've got your eyes on the Scotties Tournament of Hearts, women's curling in Canada, and there's been a little bit of weirdness to start the tournament
8: off. Yes, there has. Uh, Team Canada, who is run by Carrie Anderson and their skip, uh, her her lead, uh, Brianne Harris, was deemed ineligible for this event. Um, And basically, it came down to curling Canada came out and said she's been deemed ineligible, we will have no further uh, comment at this time. And people were digging and digging and trying to figure out what was going on because there was no example of this uh, any anywhere else or any other situation. And yesterday it came out that uh, we were told that Team Canada will be receiving support regarding the absence of Her- of Harris. So... I don't know what this means. We just know that she will be absent from the event. A lot of people are also wondering, Dave, what happens with the World World Curling Federation. And the answer is simple. World Curling Federation says, uh, we're not going to respond until we finish this event and talk to Curling Canada. And then we'll respond accordingly, which I think is a decent thing to do because... One event is not the same as the others. So you know, it's it's the thing is Brock. It's professional sports, right? Like,
0: and professional sports demands a certain level of transparency. If you're going to disqualify a player, you have to do more than just say we're disqualifying them and have nothing left to say. Like, like, like this isn't amateur sports. It's pro sports. Like, like, I think this is like a real, a real, uh, a fault on the organizers of the
8: Scotties and curling Canada. You've got to be transparent about this. Yeah, because there are people who. I don't know, watch the event and would like to know why uh Brianne Harris is missing from it. They did say that there will be an answer at some point, but we're not gonna get it in the time that we want it, which doesn't lend well to your thought there, uh exactly. So we'll see, but it's it's a very weird situation. But even the World Curling Federation says basically we'll deal with it when we get to the worlds and we'll will stand beside Curling Canada and just let it be. So okay. very interesting times for sure. What about the action for, on the ice? Yeah, what about the action on the ice? As for the event itself, uh, Saskatchewan's Skylar Aquaman is only 21 years of age, and she is the youngest athlete there. She picked up a, a win early in the event. She's struggled since then. Another really, really good up-and-coming athlete is British Columbia's Selena Sturmey. She's the only team to beat Carrie Anderson so far in the tournament. Team Canada, so this is very good. And tonight we get the battle of Jones and Rachel Holman. So that will be a matchup that will be worth watching. But if you don't, I will know what happens in it tomorrow morning. Holman-Jones, that's basically a
0: couple uh, Canadian representatives to the Olympics there over the last couple of uh, Olympic cycles.
8: Yes, and it's a battle for first place. So uh, very, very... Keen, as long as everything goes the way everyone expects it to, it's going to be a battle for first place. So, All right. Very good games coming up. Very good. All right, Brock, let's go to a different kind of ice. The Vancouver
0: Canucks and Minnesota Wilds had a barn burner yesterday afternoon. The Wilds won 10-7. to 7. Minnesota scored seven goals in the third period. Three players scored three goals. JT Miller for the Canucks, Joel Eriksson-Eck, and Kirill Kaprizov for the Wild. Here's the sound of Kaprizov scoring his third into an empty net. Here's Kaprizov. Oh, they were uh, blaring the speakers on that one, Brock. This is the first time three players have had a hat trick in the same game since 1992. Yari Curry, Luke Robitaille, and Mike Donnelly did it for the LA Kings. They played with a certain someone named Wayne Gretzky on that day. Canucks forward JT Miller says the final score does not tell the whole story. This is one of those games where uh, I think we can actually like, hang our hat on the way we played 5-on-5. Five five. I thought we, I, we all played them. Um, it was a weird game. Uh, they clearly got a lot of momentum, and when you're on a power player that starts to feel it, you know, they have some talented players. Canucks head coach Rick Tockett says the game was a learning experience. These are lessons that we have to learn how to play under pressure. Stick penalties. Our five-on-play play was good. We had uh, a lot of a lot of chances. I thought we played five-on-five. Five. Obviously, the other parts of our game wasn't good. Brock, due to it being a family day or an assortment of other days across Canada and President's Day in the United States, it was an awesome day for sports content, basically from noon onwards, it was an all-day affair, but this one at 4 p.m. Eastern time, holy smokes, was that a lot of fun.
8: Yeah, I mean, that that game was a lot of fun, and I think the thing that a lot of people don't recognize is the fact that Vancouver had a 4-1 to one lead at one point in the game, and it just... You know, didn't work for them in their favor. I think most of the time when you have a four to one lead, you should be able to uh, should be able to handle your business. But in the case of Minnesota Wild, and I agree with the clip. Uh, when you, when you start to feel it, you you feel it, and that's where it happens. But uh, three individuals having hat tricks between the two teams that's impressive. But it means that the goaltenders did not have a very good night on either side, giving up seventeen goals.
0: That that's your hot take. The goaltenders didn't have a good night on a seventeen goal game.
8: <laughs> well, it's an obvious hot take, obviously, but yeah, it's it was it was it's like it was like shinny hockey. That's what I wrote down here. It was like watching shinny hockey, and people were just playing free and flowing, and that's just how it was. It's the kind of game that I would love to watch on a yeah, regular
0: basis to be the, honest yeah that that's kind of where my brain's at i'm thinking to myself a 10 to 7 hockey game maybe 10 to seven's like a little bit too far uh, tilted in one direction but if we could get some more games that are seven to five or seven to six i'd be a happy guy
8: i'm pretty much done with these two one games yeah yeah no i i we we all like a little bit of offense but i agree with you i i'd be better with a you know two three um well two point difference more than uh that but it's just interesting how different hockey games lend themselves to be different things it's almost like the coaches just said go play and i know that that's not what they wanted but it's it was really fun to watch both teams kind of be loose and uh and and score that many i'd like to see more games like that uh it would be definitely entertaining
0: vancouver still has the best record in the league so they can hang their hat on that brock thank you for this Thank you. That's Brock Richardson at the AMI Sports Desk. Coming up after the break, coping with vision loss can take some time. Becky Czar is going to be offering some advice based on her own life experience. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. The diagnosis of losing your vision can be a jarring one. The experience of going through vision loss is something entirely different, but it's something that people have to grapple with. Becky Czar is one of those people. Becky's an entrepreneur based in Saskatchewan, and Becky's been doing some thinking about the things that she wished she would have known as she went through her own journey. Hey, good morning, Becky.
3: Morning, Dave.
0: Uh, Becky, why did this topic come to mind for you?
3: Yeah, you know, the other day I was on my social media, and I'm a part of a couple of vision loss um, support groups on Facebook. And it seemed that there was quite a few posts about from new people who that are just starting their vision loss journey and you know while I was reading their posts I could really feel their emotions coming through and um, you know fear and anxiety and stress and then it got me reflecting back, I guess, at that point of when I first stepped into this and I could relate to a lot of what they were saying. And so I think it's just important that we keep the conversation going and we, so people understand that, you know, you and I that are, I'd like to say high functioning right now uh, with our vision loss just didn't pop out like this, right? Like it took a lot of time and a big journey to get here as well, just to encourage each other that, you know, life will go on because when I first stepped into the vision loss world I definitely didn't think my life was going to go on not in a positive way like it is right now
0: So it, it, everyone's journey is going to be a little bit different but there are commonalities and there are common threads that can be put together here to form a tapestry for example I'm someone who was born legally blind so I've been adapting since day number one I, that's the only experience that I know but you went through something different because you were someone who went through sight loss so how w- how did support systems end up becoming one of the fun foundational pieces of your experience and your journey?
3: Totally. Um, and, I mean, my support network has been my number one thing, I will say, since my vision loss and even prior to, I mean, I had a really found strong foundation of family and friends that I think um, allowed me to get to where I am today. and. With my vision loss, it's been a little bit bit weird, I will say, in that, you know, I lost the sight fully in my right eye when I was three, and so my right eye is artificial. It's plastic. Um, I don't take it out. It stays in there. But to me, prior to losing my sight in my left eye, everything was normal. Um, I mean, I was able to achieve the career I wanted to. At that time, without any restrictions, I was a nurse. I drove. I, you know, parented how I wanted to, and um, I think that once I stepped into losing my my sight fully at one point um in my left eye very suddenly from one day to the next if i didn't have that support mechanism in place i don't think that you and i'd be having the conversation that we're having today because i don't think that i would have rebounded to the extent that i have um so i i owe them a huge thank you and for those of us who are you know lucky enough to have those supports um that are willing to step up i i think it's a game changer
0: it's something that comes up frequently in these conversations is the notion of community around you. And certainly community is something that can build those spirits and offer insight. And maybe that's a little bit of what you were getting to in terms of the jumping off point for this conversation, that people are joining these Facebook groups or these Instagram groups or Reddit threads that end up being a resource, end up being a place where you can find community. But there's nothing that can truly replicate community in your own region, in your own vicinity, in your your own locale.
3: Totally. And I mean, my husband, my parents, they were my friends, they were all trying to understand, you know, what I was going through, but they couldn't get it entirely. So uh, when I was first, you know, trying to figure this out myself, uh, I felt really alone and lost. And um, I really wanted to find somebody who I mean, I'm talking 10 years ago. It's not a lifetime ago, but 10 years ago, I felt like I couldn't easily find somebody out there and I could see them successfully navigating. And, you know, they were in the pits of where I felt I was at that moment, but they dug themselves out and stuff. And so, you know, I think it's important for people to find, you know, their motivation as well. And for me, I mean, I've made it well known this entire process. My biggest motivator was my son, and he was three at the time. And I don't think that he... Had any idea of his instrumental um, role that he had in my my life change? Right, like um, he was the one that motivated me without words or you know particular deliberate actions to get off the couch to you know put my big girl panties on and to step back into the world because I was so fixated on what everybody else around me was thinking um, because. I I just – I was so worried about it, and I don't know why. And I think that, you know, people kept on telling me, oh, just relax, don't worry about it. But I couldn't relax and not worry about it until my head was allowed to click that button off and be like – you know, relax, and what I had them, you know, saying in their head was likely nowhere near what they were actually thinking about me, but I had just such an escalated amount where they were, like, you know, um, really scrutinizing my life and judging me, and I think the problem was, Dave, that I was embarrassed of who I had become, Mm. and I don't know why. I was so embarrassed of my vision loss, and, you know, having to bring out that lovely white cane, I hated it. I mean, we all hate it. I know I shouldn't say all, but I, I'd like to, I think that most of us hate it from one point or, uh, or another in our life um, for one reason or another. And for me, it represented what I wasn't ready to accept myself as a person. And so therefore I wasn't ready to advertise it yeah. to the world, but it felt like a billboard, right? Yeah. Of what my information was that I wasn't ready to accept myself or share with
0: others, but I had to. It it becomes this this structure that allows people to ask you questions that maybe you don't want to deal with. I know I was at the uh, barber last Friday, and he just started telling me every albino story that he knew. And I was like, I don't really feel like talking about albinism right now. Can you please just cut my hair? Like Like, I don't really feel like talking to you about my disability. Please just cut my hair. And can we right. talk like a regular barber and human being about music or anything else?
3: Right. Just let me blend, right? Just yeah. treat me as a person. And I think that people mean well
0: for it. Oh, he was I totally he was well-meaning. Franco, if you're watching, yeah. like I know you were totally well-meaning, but but, but please, next time, let's not talk about almonism.
3: Yeah, exactly. Like, just, you know, let's, yeah, music, sports, uh, there's enough going on in the news. Like
0: Like, like anything, anything anything at all, anything at all. (laughs) Becky, dive a little deeper into into the the way in which or the advice you might want to offer in regards to guide dogs, white canes, other accessibility tools.
3: Yeah, you know what, I bucked it as long as I possibly could, because I thought I was I don't know, in some ways, I thought I was too cool. Like, I thought I was, like, not in that place. And um, the white cane, to me, was it was a temporary thing. I think it represented. Um, I wish that I would have embraced it earlier and with a little less resentment because as much as I hated the white cane, it actually allowed me to take the next step forward in my life, um, which eventually led me to getting the guide dog. And I wish I would have got Lulu and it wouldn't have been Lulu. I recognize that a guide dog sooner because I looked absolutely ridiculous, fumbling and, you know, tripping and trying to walk independently, but I looked ridiculous to the sighted world when I thought I was blending in. And, um, I just wish that I would have recognized that sooner and that the white cane or the guide dog, it's not just for me and my ease to get around, but it's for the sighted world around me that is whipping around and on phones and distracted by multiple visual things as well to recognize, oh, she can't see like I do. And perhaps I should, you know, keep, Keep aware of that. And just to give other people a heads up. But at the time, it was all about me. Yeah. And I wish I would have known that sooner.
0: Again, it's, it's understandable that you're going to be inward-looking as you go through something in your life before you start thinking about the outside world. I know when I was a teenager, the Montreal Association for the Blind uh, said, hey, why don't you start carrying around an ID cane? Not a white cane, but an ID cane, just to sort of let people know a little bit, because you can blend sometimes, and sometimes you don't always want to blend, sometimes you want them to understand that you have a disability and you might require a little bit of extra assistance.
3: Right, but I'm guessing you... Probably, did you just
0: grab it? No, I was, no, no, I was, Becky, I was an awkward teenager. I was an awkward teenager. And I said, no, I, I want to continue trying to blend as best I can, as much as you can right. as a six foot tall 13 year old who has albinism. Uh, <laughs> Becky, you mentioned the, the career pivot here. Now, now I've had about 70,000 fights with disability advocates about the way that people talk about career and work with disabilities. You know, you hear this line of, you can do any job if you have a disability. <laughs> incorrect i'm blind i cannot be a surgeon and like that's okay but what kind of reckoning did you have around your career and what's the advice that you would offer to some people who might have to make an adjustment in some cases a significant adjustment
3: totally i love that you point that out because i'm all about enabling people and advocating and empowerment but no, we cannot be pilots, we cannot be surgeons, and I proved to myself that I actually cannot be a registered nurse. So prior to my sight loss, I was a registered nurse, and it was a huge part of my identity, and I think that was a big reason why I had such troubles in letting it go. Um, But I did muster up. I went through all of the steps and retraining and all that kind of jazz and went back to work. Don't worry, I wasn't working front line. I was doing a government role, but at the same time, the role that I was doing was um somewhat important i like to think it was an educator role and so if i go and think something says a six because this time reflecting back i still wasn't using um all of the assisted tools as i should have i was using zoom text well i don't see enough for zoom text so a six to an eight to me means a human um potential medication error Mm -hmm. that i would then be Mm -hmm. teaching other people and that's a problem and i i I encourage people to find a career that they love, but make it something that is going to be doable for your world as well. Um, and so, no, I, I recognize that it wasn't safe for me or anybody um, to be a registered nurse in the, the role that I was doing it. So I, it took a long time because I was losing my license and I'd worked hard for that license and my education and et cetera. Um, but I eventually stepped back and was provided different opportunities because people around me were starting to identify different skills that I didn't even recognize were actual skills. It was just part of, you know, the communication tool was just part of how i always was and so somebody would have said to me you know back in august of 2013 that i would be a content creator i'd be a podcaster i would be a co-writer for a document you know documentary series and i would be opening a hotel i probably would have said you're gonna like you should get tested for some heavy you know (laughs) drug use because there's no way that i'm going to be doing those things like i couldn't even at that point pour a glass of water for myself i didn't have the skills but um Hang in there, honestly. Career and occupation is a thing. Just find something that works for your life and try not to buck against, um, I guess, uh, to, to me... I don't need to prove that I can be a pilot and I'm okay with that.
9: Yeah.
3: Uh, I didn't want to be a pilot as a sighted person and I don't want to be a pilot as a blind person either. It's just, it just doesn't work. So I, I would like to think that we can do stuff that um, interests us. Like don't, you don't have to be a Walmart greeter because if you're not interested in being a Walmart greeter, don't be a Walmart greeter, Right. But if that's your, your life passion, give her, because it's something you can actually do. Right. So um, I just think be, be realistic and keep trying to dip your toe in there and step out of your comfort zone because I think for me initially that is what was blocking me in my career pivot. And I feel that each time that I kinda giggle at these opportunities that are presented to me and be like, you think like I can actually gonna do that? Like you want me to do that? Okay. And so Step past my own barricade that I've put up, then good things actually do come, and I become even more confident of, of an individual.
0: Yeah, it's 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 a good life experience to share. There, it's uh, it's difficult to do though, because in both these cases, you're talking about a shift in identity, and it's not always it's not always easy to do. But the perspective is very much appreciated. Becky, thank you for this. Enjoy some uh, vacation time around the cottage.
3: Thanks so much. Take care.
0: That's Becky Czar, entrepreneur based in Saskatchewan, telling you a bit about her story of going through the vision loss experience. Coming up after the break, a couple of news stories caught the attention of John Lepke. He wants to get a reaction to the start of the 2024 tax season. And tipflation, tip creep popping up at a place of business near you. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. The 2024 tax season is underway in Canada. And John Lepke, that caught your attention.
5: It sure did. So sharpen your pencils and fire up your accounting software because it's officially, if you're incredibly organized, the start of tax season. Yesterday marked the first day that the CRA will accept your return. According to the government of Canada, 92.3% of filers last year used an electronic form of filing, but that still leaves almost two and a half million people returning to the tried and true pen and paper. The average return for last year, $2,262. If a Canadian owed money, their average was more like $8,000. So this leads me to ask you, Ramya, how much do you procrastinate when it comes to tax season?
9: Uh, um, I've never had to pay a late fee. Uh... There's such a, anyways but but yeah i am definitely at the end of the tax season i've gotten better though because i have an accountant it's gotten more of like a routine i guess to know what to send to him working at the same company for several years now it's like okay i know what's gonna happen but even then the procrastination muscle is built very strong in <laughs> me and therefore i wait till like end of march to start thinking about tax
0: i have an accountant i call her mom she does a great job <laughs> and i love her uh i do a really nice job of keeping all my paperwork organized and when she drives back from arizona in early april i will hand her a nicely organized envelope and then she will do it for me i love you dearly mom brock how
8: are you when it comes to procrastination in your taxes So it's funny you should bring that up because I was in the camp of mom before I moved out with my wife and then it became, oh my God, I have to do this on my own. Uh, The first year I was totally procrastinating and then every year after that, I go to my bookkeeper like today or tomorrow, whenever the first thing is I can do and I say to her, look, can we do it now? And she's like, have you got your forms yet? No. Can you do it anyway? No. Okay. Well, I, I just want to get it out of the way. I'm very quick. i just get it out of my way. There you get go. Out of the way. I like that. Uh, John, in
0: your case, as someone who does a ton of freelance work, I bet tax season is a bit of a misery for you
5: uh i i have support with my taxes however i it it was certainly nerve-wracking the first time that i stared at that piece of paper and tried to do the math and tried to prepare and um saw that cpp bill come in and and you know a cpp contribution bill come in and um you know, I I have the luck of doing ta- I get to do taxes twice, sometimes about five times a year, because I have to file my PST, my Saskatchewan PST, and my federal GST that I get from clients, as well as my personal taxes. So, um, it's a far cry from me turning, you know, <laughs> eighteen and having no idea what he was doing with his taxes.
0: Yeah, there's 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 no singularity of like, okay, here's my investment form, here's my salary form. There's a bunch of T's and R's and L's and numbers when it comes to uh, John's uh, tax returns. I uh, do not envy uh, your accountant or your accounting software, as it were. Uh, John, (laughs) staying in the world of money, tipping is a regular point of conversation on the show and in mass media and at coffee shops and at dinner tables. But there's a little bit more data coming out about how people are feeling about the culture of tipping.
5: Hmm. So, according to a report from CTV News recently, some Canadians are complaining about tipping expectations across the country, calling it tipflation or tip creep. The concern is that the pandemic has led to a culture that has grown to expect tipping in places where it wasn't previously assumed. For some people, CTV re- received some interesting responses when they asked their readers about this phenomenon, which ranged from someone saying that they were asked to tip at a massage therapy appointment, and another at a locksmith. Um, first of all, Brock, how are you at resisting the expectation to tip when it may be in somewhere you weren't expecting
8: it? uh I was when I my wife and I went on a cruise in the summertime, and we paid our gratuities ahead of time, and I was extremely resistant, even when they would come around with the tip us, and I'd be like, "No, I'm not tipping you. I already did it." But then. The uh, person that was in our room really did an above and beyond job. And so I thought, okay, even though I already did my tipping, I'll slide him a little bit of money. But it did sort of feel unconventional to me because it was like, eh, this is kind of weird because I paid for it. But I think he earned it. And that's my belief on tipping. If you earn it, I'll give it to you.
0: Ramia, you and I have talked about this before, and I've mm-hmm. put this out pretty straightforwardly. I, I think a lot of the complaining about tip culture is sometimes uh, representative of yelling at clouds. Because if you have the means and you can do it, it's one of the most generous things you can do to take care of your fellow human by sliding them a little bit of extra cash. But definitely there is that, that feeling of, ooh, can I resist paying a tip here? and I'm very bad at resisting giving a tip when they flip the tablet over at me. I, I, I do feel the obligation, and even though I believe deeply in the generosity and the importance of doing it, I, I, it makes it almost impossible for me to resist the expectation of an unexpected tipping situation.
9: That's exactly what it is, right? It's the unexpected expectation. So for me, like autonomy is out the window when it comes to tipping because it's the person who's helping me who is now reading the option for tip because I have low vision. So I'm like, can you please help me with the, you know, machine at the, and Mm. I've said this before on the show, at the um, food court. (laughs) kiosk or whatever and and being like uh, can you help me with the machine or let me know when i'm at checking so i can tap my card and they say sure would you like to add a 15 percent tip for the um you know fast food and i'm like okay but that part of it is just kind of uh, i find awkward right that's literally what it is but in terms of what you said is just genuinely tipping because you want to tip it's a direct interaction between you and the person who helped you dave i agree with you i think that it doesn't have to be a hard fast rule that being said though i do enjoy reading google reviews on other people's like um in you know intolerance of tipping or like you said bigger scenarios brock where people are like we didn't know that we had to tip in all of these different ways on this cruise or at this uh resort or whatever but yeah it's the unexpected situations yeah. that always
0: throw me off John, I have to confess that I always sort of assumed an interaction with a locksmith should end in a tip. They, like, let you back into your car or your apartment. Like, maybe you should give them a couple dollars for that. But how are you at resisting the unexpected expectation to tip?
5: Fair enough, and I believe that one was actually the person needed a second key for their condo. Um, I oh, haven't-
0: Oh, come on, come, I, come on now. Like, okay, I need a I second key. Like, like, slip the person five extra dollars.
5: I have not faced that situation in my house. Let's let's knock on wood that I don't lose <laughs> keys and need new ones. Um, I think for me, uh, and I think it's related to Rami's point, where I struggle is if it's a service that I'm getting for accessibility reasons, reasons and then if the service is like ableist and or bad like there's a huge part of me that's like i'm tipping quite often it's a gig worker right i'm I'm tipping like an instacart shopper or an uber driver
0: yeah yeah but
5: if the uber driver you know as happened with the cab driver once left my wheelchair at the airport i don't feel compelled oh. um to tip
0: yeah however yeah.
5: i do have that
0: that part of my brain space that is like I, I should. <laughs> <laughs> I better tip this person or they might not go back to the airport to get my wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, they also they also left my bags there, so that Oh, that takes, my gosh, you know, that's like, that, okay, really that, that, no, that, that that's a scenario <laughs> where I think if, like, the service is outwardly bad in an expecting tipping tipping scenario, I think we can yeah. get away with, but uh, you know, getting our British uh, sensibilities uh, out of us and not giving a tip. By the way, during, while John was talking, I pulled out my wallet because I wanted to put out pull out my $5 bill. I always keep a $5 bill in my wallet just in case somebody needs to be slipped a little coin on the fly, you know, like, oh. that locksmith sets me up with the second oh, yeah. key, boom, here's five dollars i had some i had some people deliver uh my new bureau a couple weeks ago and he got a twenty dollar bill when he was done uh rolling the thing into my apartment like that's just how it goes that's life i'm very awkwardly sliding my wallet back into my pocket here because i'm afraid someone's going to try and rob me during the commercial break uh john thank you for this brock thank you Ramya. you don't get to go away just yet because you get to tell me what's coming up on kelly and ramia this afternoon at 2 p.m eastern time
9: yeah i can do that so we're talking about the difference between fragrance sensitivities and fragrance allergies okay this is uh, you oh know, yeah of course, hot
0: a lot. hot button yeah.
9: Definitely. So Frances Wong on our wellness segment is going to cover this. I really enjoy the kind of topics she brings. Also, Canada's accessibility uh, officer just released her report, her first report called uh, Everyone's Business, which highlights the strides that we've made towards a barrier-free Canada. And so she's joining us on the show to walk us through what we're doing, how we're doing, and uh, whether or not we're where we need to be. Um, Also, we have our Voices segment with Guide Dog and Service Animal reporter, Devin Wilkins. So this is basically a segment where we um, allow you to have a soapbox conversation with us. You get up on the soapbox and you tell us (laughs) about your passions, (laughs) your drives, and maybe things that irk you as well.
0: I like that one. Airing Dirty Laundry with Kelly and Ramya at 2 p.m. (laughs) Eastern time. Ramya, thank you for this. Have a lovely day.
9: Thanks. You too, Dave.
0: Kelly and Ramya. It's the airwaves 2 p.m. Eastern time. On AMI TV. Coming up after the break, it's another edition of the Weekly News Quiz. Alicia Yardley, Karen McGee, and John Lepke will battle it out for the title. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. of the show, it could only mean one thing, the weekly news quiz. And that means contestants standing by saying hello for about the fourth or fifth time this morning to John Lepke. John, hello. Good morning, good morning. Saying hello for the first time this morning to Karen McGee. Hello, Karen.
9: Hello, everybody.
0: And much like myself, returning from vacation, Alicia Yardley. Hello, Alicia.
9: Hello. Um... Two, three
3: days ago, I was in 30 degree heat.
0: In wonderful, wonderful Caribbean parts of the world. But now you're just back to the moderate temperatures of Toronto, Ontario. Uh, Okay, let's jump into the rules of the game. There are three rounds of questions with three questions per round. Each question comes with three multiple choice options. If you answer the question without hearing the options, you get two points. If you need to hear the options, you get one point. And if you get it wrong, nothing is awarded to you at all. And we move on until the point is awarded. The order of contestants was drawn by Mary Daniel. That's the wife of producer Paul Daniel, who wrote the quiz. The order will be Karen, Alicia, and john so karen mcgee starting in the world of international news which country surpassed china as the leading source of imports to the united states in 2023 mexico ding 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 two points for karen mcgee more than $475 billion worth of imports into America from Mexico. Alicia, maybe that news broke last week while you were down there and you were ready for that question, but instead you get a different question. Which country is invoking a 1959 law to draft young women and men into the military?
1: Ooh, can I get the options, please?
0: Is it Singapore, Myanmar, or Cambodia?
1: Mm. I am going to go with uh, Myanmar.
0: That is one point for Alicia Yardley. Myanmar's military government said it will draft 60,000 young men and women yearly for military service. Okay, John, the pressure is on you here early mm-hmm. as, uh, as Karen and Alicia are putting on points. Last week... Yeah. Kaya Kallas, the prime minister of a Baltic country, was put on Russia's wanted list for her efforts to remove Soviet-era World War II monuments. What Baltic country does she lead? Uh, I'll take the options. Is it Latvia, Estonia, or Lithuania? Uh, I'm going to go with Latvia. That is incorrect. Karen, an opportunity for a steal here. Estonia or Lithuania? Estonia. That is correct. One point for Karen McGee. So Karen, at the end of one round, Pavin three, Alicia sitting on one, John at zero. Don't worry, lots of questions left. And round two is all about Canada. Alicia, you get the first question of round number two. Officials in a province announced earlier this month that starting in September 2025, it would be mandatory for students taking history classes in grades 7, 8, and 10 to learn Black history. What province is it? Uh, could I get the options, please? Is it Ontario, Quebec, or Nova Scotia?
1: Hmm. I am going to say Nova Scotia.
0: That is incorrect. John, an opportunity for a steal here. Ontario or Quebec? Uh, Ontario. That is one point for John Lepke. The government has also introduced new math, language, science and technology curricula. In fact, Megan Gilmore was talking all about phonics based education in the first hour of the show. So one point for John and now an opportunity to really pick up some points here. Rob Oliphant, a parliamentary secretary to Foreign Affairs Minister, Melanie Joly, was caught on a leaked recording with a constituent suggesting the depth of divisions in the government over its handling of the war in Gaza. In what province is Mr. Oliphant's constituency? I'll take the options. Is it Ontario, PEI or Nova Scotia? Uh I'll go with Nova Scotia. That is incorrect. Karen McGee, an opportunity for a steal. Ontario or PEI.
2: I'm gonna say PEI.
0: That is incorrect. Alicia Yardley oh, no. picking up the default point on that one. Uh so there we go. Uh that's a that, that's a big that's a big uh, point there for Alicia. I've somewhat lost count of the score here. <laughs> Uh, because it's my first day back from vacation and math is hard. But I believe that puts Alicia at two points, Karen at three and John at one. Does anybody object to the scoring? All right. My brain still works. (laughs) All right. Karen McGee, an opportunity for you to extend your lead. Last week, Federal Defense Minister Bill Blair announced that Canadian troops stationed in Latvia would soon be protected by a 227 million short-range anti-aircraft system. In what European country was this anti-aircraft system developed?
2: Oh, I'll take the choices, please.
0: Is it Germany, France, or Sweden? Germany. That is incorrect. Alicia, was it France or Sweden? Sweden. That is correct. One point for Alicia, and I believe that ties us up after round number two. Canadian soldiers have been without a dedicated air defense to protect ground troops from attack helicopters for more than a dozen years. Oakley doakley. So after two rounds, we've got Karen with three, Alicia with three, and John with one. So still anybody's game going into the last round All general news stories. John, you get the first crack at this. Walmart is in talks to buy which smart TV maker for more than $2 billion? Oh, I'll take the options. Is it LG? Is it Sonos? Or is it Vizio? I'm going to say it's Sonos. That is incorrect. Karen, is it LG or Vizio?
3: I'm going to say
0: Vizio. That is correct. Walmart's current in-house electronic brand is called Own or On. Actually, I uh, never seen that one advertised before, but I have seen Vizio's advertised. So Karen McGee in the lead here and now an opportunity to really pull ahead. Karen, Oregon has reported its first human case of witch disease since 2015, with the infection believed to have originated with the person's cat.
2: Well, it wasn't diphtheria like in the Oregon Trail, and I just totally aged <laughs> myself there. I believe it was a plague.
0: Two points for Karen McGee, Babonic plague. That's uh, well done. I want to give you an extra point for the Oregon Trail reference as well. That's that's well done. You know, you and I never once at the Ottawa Bureau played Oregon Trail on our PCs. Never once. That never happened. No,
2: but I retrofitted one of my old apples to play the original version.
0: Oh, yeah. Old school retro gaming Karen McGee. Uh, That puts Karen in a pretty much uh, top-notch commanding lead. But you know what? Let's ask Alicia question number three of round number three. Just for the sake of it. Alicia, this one's coming from the world of entertainment. Last week, Jon Stewart returned as host of The Daily Show, a program that he hosted for quite some time. Alicia, what year did Jon Stewart leave the show? When did Jon Stewart originally leave The Daily Show?
1: Oh, man. And it's funny because I'm distracted now by the thought
6: that my cat could get
1: the beep on leg. But I'm going to try. Um... I believe it was 2014.
0: That is incorrect. John, do you want the options? You want to take a stab at it just for the heck of it? Oh, I'll take a stab just for the heck of it. 2016. That is incorrect. Karen McGee, you take a stab at this as well. And if you get it wrong, I get the point. (laughs)
7: 2017.
0: Hey, I get the points on the board. That makes the host 2019? a happy. Boy, was it no, it's 2015. 2015. Oh my god! Yeah, John Stewart's part of a great lineage there at uh, the Daily Show. And worth noting, he didn't start the Daily Show. The first host of the Daily Show was Craig Kilborn. Loved Craig Kilborn. And then, of course, you had John Stewart, followed by Trevor Noah, and uh, Trevor Noah did an awesome job, and so did all the correspondents uh, during the last couple of uh, months when Trevor Noah also stepped away. So one point for Dave Brown, but irrespective, your winner is... Karen McGee, congratulations. Well done.
2: Thank you, and I win a trip to Toronto. I'm leaving as soon as we're done.
0: Oh, 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 wait, oh, wait, do I get to see you tomorrow?
2: Yeah. You want to grab dinner?
0: Uh, let's uh, circle ah. back to that. Let's circle back to that. Maybe Loper.
9: Making plans on the air. Making yeah, plans yeah. on the
0: air. Maybe Lupper, Maybe, Loper. maybe Loper. <laughs> Uh Alicia, you sent me an email this morning in response to the Daily Poll, which is all about people using uh, GPS or giving GPS tracking data to friends and family for uh, safety reasons. And you had a response to that. So folks can vote at Accessible Media on Twitter at Accessible Media Inc. But you sent me an email directly about your use of uh, GPS tracking uh, apps and information for friends and family.
1: Yeah, so uh, for me, when I'm traveling, I'm out of the country, I just want to make sure that people know where I am. So I share my location with my mom. um, And I also text one of my night owl friends when I'm back in my room or my dorm or
0: wherever it is
1: I am. So um, I think it's important just from a safety reason.
0: Good safety protocols. At Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, you can send emails, feedback at ami.ca, or pick up the phone and give the show a call, one 509 4545 Do you use GPS tracking software, and do you give it to friends and family? You do it all the time? You do it when traveling? Or never, never, ever, ever at all? All right, saying thank you to Alicia. Alicia, thank you. Have a nice day you do, and a big thank you to karen mcgee see you tomorrow
3: yes my friend
0: and john lepke thank you for stepping in for alex today you're welcome right on that's all the time there is for the show today don't worry things kick off again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m eastern time until then i'm dave brown reminding you to play safe play fair but don't forget to have some fun and grow a goatee